Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. If you were here or not, if you were not here, you were missed, I'm sure. All right, this evening on Wednesday evenings, I am going to begin doing the seven sayings. The seven sayings spoken by our Lord from the cross prior to uh, Easter. The first one is in the Gospel of Luke, and you will find it in chapter 23, verse 34. Luke 23, verse 34. And the way I have the Wednesday nights plotted, by my being here on the Wednesday nights, I will finish up the last one, the Wednesday night preceding Easter. So, uh, Luke chapter 23, verse 34. <clears throat> <clears throat> and I am in the same boat with a lot of you when it comes to the drainage, and uh, I think we all just go ahead and do it one time, get it out of the way, and that would, that, would, <clears throat> that may be helpful to all of us to do that. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we thank you this evening. For the glorious privilege that we have to come to you knowing that you are a God at hand and not afar off. We thank you for the invitation to come boldly to your throne of grace. To cast all our cares upon you knowing that you care for us. And this evening our Father, all the host of requests that we have heard we're grateful that we can bring them to you. We're grateful, Holy Father, that we have confidence that you are able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we're able to think or ask. And so it is with confidence that we again ask that you will move in each situation in a manner that is for the good of all individuals and that will ultimately bring glory to you. And tonight, our Father, as we open your word, may God the Holy Spirit open our minds and our hearts, and may he grant liberty, and may he speak to us, and may we have the fullness of your spirit, and may, Holy Father, all that transpires be to the end, that Jesus is honored and that glory is given to your name. Now, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, might be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer, in Jesus' name, amen. This is the first of the sayings, Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Then Jesus said, 
Father, forgive them, for they do not know, or King James says, for they know not what they do. In the 21st century, we have all but made Calvary a pageant. We have added to, we have taken from, in an attempt to make Calvary more appealing, less offensive, more inviting to the world. You see, we really do not want the cross and Calvary to offend. We want everything to be palatable and acceptable to the world. Therefore, we have colored the cross and we have clothed Christ in order to gain the approval of the world. May I point out to you this evening that what we have presented to us at the cross and at Calvary is a vile, boisterous, mad, venomous mob intent not on pageantry but on persecution. You see, the saying spoken by the Savior at, on the cross are not merely important because of who spoke them, but where they're spoken. They are at Calvary. There you will discover man at his absolute worst. Man with all his vileness, all the sin, all the evil that can possibly be imagined is pictured at Calvary. And there you will also witness God at his best. Calvary. Where the Lamb of God sacrificed himself in order for mankind to know what the love of God was all about. Calvary, that place where every individual who is going to experience salvation must come. These sayings are spoken, not shouted. Some of them, I think, are probably whispered. That would mean that you and I have to draw near. And that would indicate that we have to come through that thick cloud of darkness that covers him for three of the six hours that he's on the cross. 
last words. We don't pay that much attention to them often, do we? But last words often are an indication of what individuals really consider to be important. And they often reveal to us something of the depth of that person's life. Now, for example, Karl Marx's last words were these, quote, Last words are for fools who haven't said enough. Now that's what his last words were. P.T. Barnum's last words were, What were the day's receipts? Napoleon's last words were, Chief of the Army. I mean, really important stuff. Charles Spurgeon, one of the greatest English preachers who ever lived. His last words were, Jesus died for me. John Wesley, one of the founding fathers of Methodism, not in its present form. said this the best of all is God is with us now these sayings are seven in number that means completeness there's nothing to be added so we want to look at the first one this evening. His word of forgiveness. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And we want to draw near. And we want to hear with our head as well as our heart. And we want to allow the Holy Spirit to make the application of that word of forgiveness to each of us. And as we look at that statement, there are two truths that I want us to draw. First, I want you to look at this. The intercession of the Savior. Then Jesus said, Father. Now, <clears throat> it begins with a time word, then. And when that time word is used, it is informing us that it is connecting what has immediately happened with what is about to happen. And it is saying to us that Jesus has already been crucified, that he's on the cross, that he's already been beaten within an inch of his life, that he has been mocked and ridiculed, that he has been made sport by the crowd, that he's hung on the cross. Then, 
after that has already happened to him, then Jesus said. Now what a person says, how they speak, is usually conditioned by what they've experienced, right? I mean, you put me through torment, I'm probably not going to speak too pleasant to you. That's not the pattern here. Not the pattern at all. Now the first saying is a prayer. As is the fourth and the seventh. It's a prayer. Then Jesus said, Father. That really shouldn't surprise us because the pattern of Jesus' life publicly was a life that was so filled with prayer that the only thing his disciples ever asked him to teach them to do was what? Pray. I find that amazing. They never asked him to teach them to preach, to perform miracles, to do anything else. But they saw in him. He spent all nights in prayer. He slipped away early in the morning. He prayed during the day. He said, let's get apart and rest, but to pray. And they came to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, it is one thing, beloved, to be sitting on a sunny slope and say you're to love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. Forgive 70 times 7. And it is another thing. To intercede for those who have tormented you. The intercession of the Savior. Two things I want you to see. First, in the intercession of the Savior... Notice that he addressed the Father. Then Jesus said, Father, with all that has happened to him, Jesus remained conscious of his divine sonship. Years ago, when churches had full weeks revivals. Anybody here remember those days? Some of you do. You're as old as I am if you do. But uh, I've pastored, uh, pastored a couple of large churches in my life. One had 1,100 members and the other had 1,800 members. 
and I know what it is to deal with staff and to deal with large churches. But I preached a lot of revivals, 22, 24, 25 revivals a year in pastor churches and so on. And uh, that's the reason I don't have much voice now because we didn't have these things then. Uh, but I was preaching a revival in Lugoff. George Baruti. He was younger than I in age, physical age, but a lot younger than I was ministerially. And he asked me, we were just taking a walk. And he said to me, what is the most profound thought you've ever had? What is the one thought that has impacted you the most spiritually? What is the one thought? Well, I ask you that. What is the one most powerful, impacting, spiritual thought that you've ever had? Now, this was 30... Five years ago, I guess now. And we're walking along, and I didn't have to think. I knew. And I said, George, it is this. That holy, omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent, creator, controller, God is my father. And that I, as his child, can lay my head on his breast and fellowship with him and love him as a child. And we walked on a little bit. And I saw the tears running down his face, and he said, you know, that's probably right. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. With all that Jesus has experienced, now, he, he's been flogged. He's been stripped naked. I'll, I'll preach about that before. But he has been beaten within an inch of his life. Most men died before they got to the cross. Then Jesus said, Father. He could have looked out at that crowd and reviled and rebuked them and called them crowds and called them cowards. But he didn't. He looked to the Father. And I think there's a lesson for you and me to learn in that. The first place we ought to look when we think times are tough and the bottom is, is about to drop out and when everything that can go wrong has gone wrong, the first place we ought to look is to the Father. 
And Jesus said, Father. And in saying that, he's saying this. I am, I was, and I forever will be the eternal God, the Son. I have a permanent relationship with the Father. Now, you sweet child of God, you just read Romans 8, the last part. See if that just doesn't bless your socks off. Paul says, and what is there? That can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can height or depth or any other creature. Is there anything that can separate us from the love of Christ? I want to tell you something folks. I am a child of God. I am a son of God. I have a permanent relationship with him. He is my father. I am his child. Then Jesus said, Father. I think that's pretty good shouting ground for a Baptocostical. But, I, but it's just, <clears throat> it thrills me. It just excites my spirit. In the intercession of the Savior, he addressed him as Father. Then, the second thing in the intercession of the Savior is he appealed for forgiveness. And Jesus said, Father, forgive. Forgive. Now, he's not asking for forgiveness for himself. He is the pure, spotless Son of God. He is not pleading for forgiveness for himself. And it's not for the hurt they're doing him, but for the hurt they're doing themselves. And the word in the Greek means remove. And I am told, I, I'm, I have already confessed to y'all that I do not know Greek, so I've studied people that do know Greek. And I am told that this uh, Greek verb is in the imperfect tense, which means that it has continuous action. And it means that if, when he says forgive, that it was something that went on and on. And so he's saying forgive when they drove the nails in his hands. It's forgive. And when they elevated that cross, it's forgive. And Jesus is pleading, forgive. You see, he's interceding. You see, when he's on the cross, he can't reach and touch and heal as he once did. He can't reach and touch the coffin as he once did. He can't pull the children on his lap as he once did. So what does he do? 
he intercedes for their forgiveness. Father, forgive them. Now someone will ask the question, why didn't he forgive? Why is he asking the Father to forgive? Well, that's a good question. You want to know the answer, don't you? He says, yes. Here, here's why. He is, at this point in time, he is in the place of the substitute. He is dying as the sacrifice. He is bearing all of this for you and for me. So I've got to hurry. The second thought, in addition to the intercession of the Savior, there is the ignorance of the sinner. Now, look, look again at the verse and see if you don't see it. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Now, it's <clears throat> critical that we try to get some handle on what those words mean. And so I want to drill down and I want to ask some questions, just three. Who is implicated? Who's the them? Father, forgive them. Who's them? Well, we look at it and we can see the them, those individuals that are right there. But I want to ask you, how far back do you go with them? How far back? Is it the crowd that yelled crucify him? Is it the Sanhedrin who made a deal with Judas to betray him? How far back do you go when you're looking for them? Is it just those that are there? Those that are going to gamble for his robes? Is it just those that are driving nails in his hands? How far forward do you go with them? The point I want to make is this. If them could be forgiven, then thank God Almighty, you and I can be. That's the good news. Don't you think? That's good news. Then the second question. What's implicated? When Jesus said that they don't, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. When he says forgive them, what is indicated is there is an unexpressed implication when he says forgive them and that is and condemn me. You see, the only way he could ask for them to be forgiven is by saying and charge me. I will take their guilt. I'll pay the penalty to the last penny. Put that on my account. I will pay the debt they owe. 
during World War II in Paris. A Russian nun named Sister Maria was doing her best to help with all the suffering that was going on. But the Nazis were taking these young Jewish women, lining them up, taking them to execute them and whatever else. And one of those young girls was just absolutely beyond terrified. And Sister Maria took her habit off and put it on that young Jewish young Jewish girl and said, I'll take your place. And she did. And as far as anybody knows, she took her place and she died. Now, folks, I want to tell you something. That's what Jesus did. He took our place. He took our sinful habit. He died wrapped up in sinful flesh. Not died as a sinner, but wrapped up in sinful flesh. Third question is what's involved when it, when it said they don't know what they're doing. What does that mean? Does that mean that they're not held accountable? Absolutely not. Doesn't mean that they are forgiven in spite of. That's not what it means at all. Forgiveness is not thrust upon any individual who does not ask for forgiveness. Then what does it mean? As best I can understand, this is what it means. You see, they know not what they do with regard to the person of Christ and to the purpose of the cross. That's what they didn't know. They knew they were crucifying. They knew they were crucifying a holy man. They just didn't know the purpose of the cross. And so, Jesus' intercession is, Father, stay the consequences for now. That they might learn there's more in this than I know. But I do believe this, had this prayer of intercession not been prayed, that these would have been condemned on the spot. You know what forgiveness is, someone said? Forgiveness is the nectar of the flower crushed. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. 